This podcast was brought to you by Pastor Mike Calstrip and Fellowship Church. For more information, visit thefellowship.church. So good to see all of you this morning. We want to welcome you to Fellowship Church, especially those of you that are watching online. We're glad you can be with us here today. Praise God. We're going to have a good time in the Lord. I'm going to feed you a real good meal. Praise God. Wind you up real tight. Turn you loose on the world. Hallelujah. Does that sound like a, a good proposition? Okay, good. Praise the Lord. Let's open our Bibles this morning then. If you brought a Bible with you or a device, whatever it is that you're using. And um, let's open our Bibles to John, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And... Um, Hmm. Praise God. Aren't you glad for the word? Praise God. I'm telling you what. He said, it's not my word like a hammer that shatters the rock. Sometimes, you know, we come up against things in our lives and uh, they seem to be things that are, you know, standing in the way. But thank God, his eternal word and the promises he made are more than enough. And so we can rejoice in that. Amen. And I want to I want to communicate with you this morning because I tell you there's so many things that God wants to do in our lives if we just believe Him, you know things would be a whole lot different, Amen. I mean really you know the Bible says for with the heart man believes unto righteousness with the mouth confessions made unto salvation. I'm not talking about what you believe in your noggin. I'm talking about what's going on on the inside of you, and you know praise God the Bible says the entrance of His Word gives light. It gives illumination. And gives understanding to our hearts. And we need the Holy Ghost. Everybody say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost to be the one who reveals and unveils the truth of His Word. In other words, to make that Word alive within our heart. Praise God. Because that's what makes the difference. You know, everybody believes something. You know, everybody believes lots of things. And, and based upon or predicated upon what they believe, they act. They, they, they speak, they say, they do, they whatever. And so <clears throat> when Jesus came into this earthborn existence, you know, and began his ministry at the age of 30, you know, even with his disciples, you know, he, 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 there was such a, almost a pleading uh, with the disciples that they would believe in what it is that he said and believe that he was who he said he was. Amen. He said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe me for, for the very work's sake. You know, I mean, he was just doing everything he could to try to get these men into a position of believing his word, believing what he said. And the same thing's true today. You know, he's called pastors and, you know, teachers and evangelists and, and uh, prophets and apostles to come and to teach the Word of God to people. And, um, you know, it's not really a magic wand kind of thing. It's just you and I discovering what it is that God has said and believing, really believing, what it is that He said. You know, I'm reminded of the Scripture. We'll get there to, uh, where did I tell you to go? Mark chapter 6. We'll get there in a minute, but I want to just share a couple thoughts here with you because of uh, uh, well, where we're going here. And I've shared this scripture so many times, but I'm telling you, um, everyone, this, this verse of scripture, it, it can be so freeing if we would just believe it. 
And it's in Romans chapter 15, 13. I'll just read it to you here. It says, now may the God of hope. How many of you know God is a God of hope? He's not hopeless. He, he, you know, his future is bright. And everyone that knows him, our future is bright. Now, it may not always look like that. We have all kinds of things within the world that are endeavoring to at least encroach upon the liberties and freedoms and, and life, you know, or lifestyles that, that we happen to have the privilege of being able to live. But he's still the God of hope. And sometimes, you know, we do get into circumstances where we feel hopeless. In other words, the purpose, sometimes we lose sight of our purpose. A lot of folk go through life, you know, if you don't have purpose, dude, you can't have hope. So you need to figure out what it is that you want to do with your life and go for it. Amen. Well, what if it's not the will of God? Listen, God's big enough to get you where it is you need to go. Just do something. Are you listening to me? You know? Now, may the God of hope fill you. Everybody say fill. May he fill you. Fill you. Amen. Fill you. Like a couple mornings ago, my wife says, would you like a cup of coffee? You know, I said, sure. And I, she said, you want some cream in it? And I said, sure. Well, we didn't have any heavy whipping cream. We just had the half and half. And she's over there and she's pouring it. She goes, whoop. I thought to myself, well, she got that one filled up. Sure enough, you know, she's coming over there with this thing, trying not to spill it. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in, what's the next word? Huh? Oh, it's not up there. How could you know? Okay. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You want to have joy? You want to have peace? You got to believe the word of God. You got to believe that he is in fact the God of hope. The God of all hope, actually. You know, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For you have to believe that he is or exists and that he is a rewarder. Everybody say rewarder. Hallelujah, I'm telling you, God has good things for those that believe him. You say, what kind of good things? Joy and peace. Hallelujah, it's nice to be able to walk around and have joy and to have peace. So may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. In other words, I can do every, I mean, I can come up with every dog and pony show and whatever it is, you know, I mean, to try to convince you about God's living word. But at the end of the day, you, my friend, have to decide what it is that you're going to believe. You know, there were times when Jesus would tell people the truth. He'd turn and walk away. Say, well, no, shouldn't you stay there and plead with them and beg with them, you know, and hold their hand and do what? He didn't. We have a choice. This is not my message either, by the way. This is the appetizer. This is like, I don't know, you know, little fun rings or unrings or onions or whatever it is that you eat or those little mushroom things. That's what this is. You say, I don't like mushrooms. Well, then don't eat them. I didn't say you had to, but, you know. So notice it goes on to say, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
that you may abound in hope. If your hope is in some politician, guess what? You, my friend, are going to be sorely disappointed. And we've already witnessed that. But thank God our hope isn't in them. Amen? That you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Praise God forevermore. I tell you what, there's a, there's a story that's been written. And you're in it. And there is a plan and purpose that God has, and he's going to fulfill it. And I'm telling you what, praise God, it's going to be the most glorious thing you've ever witnessed in your life. And so thank God you can always live with the hope that he gives to the believer and child of God. But it won't do you any good if you, can't, if you won't believe it. Are you with me? If you don't believe what the Bible says and the promise God's made, that he would care for you, that he is your shelter, your refuge, you know, if, he, if you don't believe those things, then, then you're on your own. And it isn't that God doesn't love you. It isn't that he doesn't care about you. It isn't that he doesn't want his very best for you. But the way the reality of God's blessing comes in our lives is by believing. Okay? Best I can tell you. Hallelujah. You know, <laughs> one minister years and years ago said, you always get what you believe for. Nothing more, nothing less. You know? I mean, as simple of, of a thought, and we sang, it, uh, sang about it this morning, that God is a good God. Amen. Now, how many of you think that's true? Okay. Now, as much as you say, well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I agree with that. There's a lot of people that don't really believe that. You say, well, how come? Because in the back of their mind, somewhere in the recesses of their heart, because of what it is that they don't understand or just whatever's gone on within their lives, they have a tendency to say, well, if God is so good, and then they'll say, then how come? How come bad things happen to good people? You know, all of these different kinds of things. So in other words, they challenge the validity of what it is that the Bible says with whatever their experience or circumstance happens to be, okay? And, and some people can't get past that. And so they live their lives, you know, never ever really coming to the place of settling, did you hear that? Settling it within their heart that, yes, in fact, God is good all the time. And I may not understand. You know, when James was writing his letter, he said, he said do not err, brethren. He said, don't, don't make this mistake. Listen, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above which comes down from the Father of the heavens, or the lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You know, you, know, you can go out at any given time in the night, and, and the heavens are changing constantly. But it's this comparison of him being the Father of lights, in whom there is, there is no variableness. He never changes. Hallelujah, aren't you glad for that? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But again, people have to come to the place of saying, I may not understand my circumstance. I may not know why this is going on. I may not know whatever, but I believe you, Lord. 
You know, when David was called to be the king of Israel, you know, uh, Samuel come by and, you know, looked at all of his brothers and picked him, and he became the one that was anointed to be uh, the king in Saul's stead. But, you know, the young guy went through hell before the manifestation of that promise and, and, and the will of God came to pass. Are you with me? And sometimes, you know, we have tendencies in our lives when we're believing God for things to faint, to lose heart, to want to give up and quit. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, and the Bible says that when God made promise to Abraham, because he could, he could swear by no greater than himself, he said, surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Well, the first approach that God made to Abraham was when he was 75 years old. 20-some years down the road, nearly 25 actually, there was no manifestation of things that God had promised in Abraham's life as yet. You know, God came to him and visited him one time and he said, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. In other words, I'm the guy who protects you and I'm the one who provides for you. And Abraham, you know, I mean, call it whatever you want. I mean, he may have been, you you could say maybe he was in a place of unbelief. I I think that's fair. I mean, we've all been there before. He said, what are you going to give me that I don't don't have? I ain't got no kid. You know, Eliezer in my household is my heir. I don't have any seed. He says, well, come on outside and let's take a look at something. He said, I want you to look up into the stars and if you can count them, that's, that's the number of seed that you'll have. And, and... And he had a a defining moment. He had a a place in his life while he was standing there out underneath the stars. And the Bible says that he believed God. Everybody say he believed. He believed God. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And God made good on his word. So the Bible says that when, when God could swear, swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Now listen to this. So after Abraham, now listen, had patiently endured. Hmm. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. How many of you just are loaded with patience? <laughs> After he had patiently endured, he received the promise. So I guess, praise God, you know, it's just like when Luke was writing and when Jesus spoke the parable to all men that, <clears throat> you know, that we should always pray and not faint, lose heart, and give up. You know, and we all have the temptation to do so. But how many of you know he's faithful? I said he's faithful. You think about your life now. Think about your life when, I mean, when you first got started or maybe even before you knew him. And think about all of the things that God has done in your life. Don't ever forget where it is that you've come from. Are you listening to me? And the forgiveness that was granted or afforded to you because of the blood of Jesus Christ. How he washed you, cleansed you, redeemed you, hallelujah, made you his own. You became his child. People forget these things, you know. 
And, and when you start forgetting where it is that you've come from, you can become very, um, uh, I don't know, uh, critical, cynical, judgmental, you know? Yeah. There's a, uh, <clears throat> a statement I'll, I'll share with you here that uh, is in my notes that's so important for us to understand. And maybe I'll go into explaining it uh, further, but the statement, uh, Jack Hayford made this statement years ago. He said this. He said, forgotten grace breeds unforgiving living. Forgotten grace. In other words, when you forget where you come from, it breeds unforgiving living. And that's true. You know, sometimes somebody will do something to offend us, and, you know, then all of a sudden we want to harbor unforgiveness, you know, because, because they did us wrong. Well, listen, you did Jesus and God the Father real wrong, and he forgave you. Huh? And the interesting thing about it is, you remember when, when uh, Peter asked the question, he says, Lord, he says, how often do we have to forgive people? You know, like seven times. And I think in Jewish literature and, and culture and things of that nature, it was like three or four. So, you know, Peter probably thought, you know, I'm going to double up here and see what we get. He says, how about seven? And so <laughs> Jesus said, how about 70 times seven? In other words, Peter, quit counting. You have an obligation to forgive no matter what. Or how many times? People say, well, I just can't do that. Yes, you can. God forgave you. You can forgive them. Huh? So, you know, it's like I said, don't forget about the grace that God showed you. Dude, we were a mess. I was a mess. You say, well, I wasn't that bad. You were a mess. Okay. Listen, you know, when you have the nature of sin on the inside of you, until Jesus comes and takes care of it, there's a problem, okay? So forgotten grace breeds unforgiving living. Huh. Okay, everything's changing, so I guess we're going to move a different direction. You know, did you find Mark chapter 6? That's great. We're not looking at that right now. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 18? Look at this story with me. I am just going to do what it is he wants me to do. Is that all right with you? Amen. I didn't, uh, I didn't um, plan this, but that's not unusual. So again, in the context of... Uh, in the context of... Uh, Peter asking this question, and Jesus' response being that, you know, why don't you try 490, 7 times 70. And uh, now notice in verse 23, um, he says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. Now, here's what I want you to understand before we read this. How many of you, you know, I, we say this all the time, but think about this with me again more intentionally or deliberately. How many of you believe that the Bible is God speaking to you? Okay, so when Jesus starts speaking or talking or sharing these parables, he said, 
how sh- you know, to what shall we liken the kingdom of heaven? You know, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. I, we don't function in heaven like all this goings on down here. So he asked the question, to what shall we liken the kingdom of heaven? What comparison can we compare it with? Now, why is that important to you and me? It's important because God intends for you and I to live as citizens of his kingdom, not here. In other words, to live our lives as he lives. So when he shares this parable with us, and he's basically, you know, opening the curtain so that you and I can look into kingdom function and how things work, he wants us to get it, okay? Not just say, well, wasn't that a nice little parable? It's not some churchy kind of message here, you know, that we just say, oh, isn't that nice? It's not that at all. It is Jesus speaking to you and I about how the kingdom functions and the responsibilities that you and I have to emulate or to function as well the same way. Now, again, you know, a lot of times folk will just say, well, you know, you don't know what it's like, and, you know, down here, I mean, it's rough and whatever. Well, Uh, it must be excuse time. Huh? Because Jesus came, the Bible says he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet he was without sin. What's that mean? That means he, uh, if he can do it, you can do it. You say, well, I'm not Jesus. Yeah, but you're a child of God, born of the Spirit of God, and you got the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. So that's why we tell you to start saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, instead of I can't, I can't, I can't. Everybody needs to start saying, I can, I can, I can. Because you can, you can, you can. If you want to, want to, want to. Are you with me? So in this parable here, in verse 23 again, he says this, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I don't know what that amount is. Let's just say it this way. It was an unpayable sum. He was over leveraged and in a lot of trouble. Verse 25. But for as much as he had not to pay... His Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and everything that he had and payment to be made. Think about that for a minute. Think about what it is that the master said. Well, let's just sell them all off. I'll get what I can out of the deal and we'll call it good. But think about the impact that it would have on the one that was indebted. I mean, I don't know if you seen this or not, but usually when you're incarcerated, it's, it's really hard to try to come up with some money to pay it back. Huh? In other words, he was never leaving. So notice it goes on then to say, verse 26, the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Well, then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion. Everybody say moved with compassion. And loosed him and forgave the entire debt, okay? But the same servant went out 
He found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, which didn't amount to a hill of beans, you know, really. And he laid hands on him, and he took him by the throat. It's pretty violent, saying, pay me what you owe. Well, this fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay uh, the whole debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, and they were very sorry, they came and told their, uh, unto their Lord all that was done. And then his Lord, after he had called him, he said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desired it of me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I have had pity on thee? And the Lord was wroth, delivered him unto the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due. Now listen to verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. That is some kind of tight, but it's right. And the reason being, and, it, it, and I don't need to get into all of this here today, but the real reason behind unforgiveness is, is that, you know, when we harbor unforgiveness within our heart, we are the ones that end up incarcerated. You know, some people harbor unforgiveness against people, and people, the people that they're mad at or whatever, they don't even know anything about it. And the thing about it is, too, is very often, you know, when you, when you allow these things within your heart, they, 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 they end up manifesting within your physical body, cause all kinds of sickness, disease, cancer, you name it. You know, not everything in the, in the way of diseases. This is the cause, but there are, there are those things. Are you with me? So it becomes imperative for us as believers to make sure that we unpeel our hearts on a regular basis before the Lord. And he said, you know, to, to whomever you forgive, I also forgive. And so if you, I, I mean, this is, this is, you could call it rough, but it really isn't. It could be life-saving to you. But if you've got unforgiveness toward whoever, you need to get it cleaned up. And you need to ask God to help you. And not only that, but you need to forgive them. You say, well, I just can't do that. Well, remember we had the conversation about I can't? You can. You can't do it by your emotion, but you sure enough can do it as an act of your will because you know it's right. Are you with me? And if you do then the feelings will accompany your choice and your decision to let the person go. You know, pray for them. You know? So I don't want to pray for them. That's exactly what you need to do. Huh? Don't, don't give place to the devil. Don't, don't allow your flesh to dominate and dictate what it is you will and won't do. Pray for them. Because they obviously need your prayers, right? How many are still glad you came this morning? Amen. Praise God. Okay, well, I think we're done with our appetizer. Shall we go to the main course? Yes, okay, let's give that a try. 
Go back there then to Mark chapter 6. Hmm. You say to yourself, well, is it going to get any better? I think it's pretty good right now. Amen? Just depends on where you're at. You know, some of you, you're sitting out there going, man, glory to God. I'm so glad my heart's pure and I'm not harboring, you know, unforgiveness, you know, against anybody. And then there's some of you out there going, oh, thank you very much. But you, (laughs) I don't like you. Yeah, you do. You, You don't know me. If you knew me, you'd like me. Okay, I'm not trying to make your life difficult, praise God. I'm trying to have, have you experience joy and peace and long life. Amen. Are you with me? Amen. You know, it's an interesting thing. Did you find Mark chapter uh, 6? Look, look, look. Well, no, I can't do that. Well, I could. Well, let's just see how it plays out. Let's look at Mark chapter 6, and I'll share something with you I think will be a blessing to you. Praise God. Look with me if you would here, and, and you have to understand the context of this is, is that Jesus had chosen 12 to be with him. In other words, he brought them alongside him, you know, and he said, if you follow me, I'll make you or cause you to become fishers of men. So they said, we're in. So the way they, took, they took off. Well, he, he divided up and basically made six teams, uh, two by two you know, in Paris and had them go out and preach and teach and, you know, cast out devils and things of that nature. So this is on the back side of that, uh, beginning in verse chapter 6 and verse, um, Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. Praise God. Notice what it says. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And I'm sorry, I'm reading this from the New uh, Living Translation because it reads better. Sorry. Mistake. Forgive me. Okay. The apostles uh, returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Everybody say amen. Amen. Yeah. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and the people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. And Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. So there's a couple different things that I want to share with you here. First of all, you know, he makes a statement, and he says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And so I've entitled this message this morning, before all the stuff that you already just got done hearing, give me a break. Don't you think that's a great title? In other words, managing the responsibilities that you and I have as as people, as believers, and still living to talk about it. Hallelujah. Give me a break. 
Well, when these disciples came back to Jesus, that's exactly what he endeavored to try to give them, and that is a break, some, re- some respite, some reprieve from all of the things that are going on within their life. And, and really, that's what I want to, you know, the message I want to share with you this morning has to do with your life and, and how you're doing with that. Because uh, how many of you know that life can get a little crazy once in a while? Maybe it could get crazy all the time. I mean, I don't know, you know, in talking about, you know, just all of the noise, the pressure, the, the, the demands, the, the schedules, the, all of the different kinds of things, concerns that we have, anxieties, you know, that people, you know, are dealing with, insecurities and fears. This stuff can kind of pile up. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, so if you don't, if you don't come up with a way of, of managing that, um, you can get in some real trouble. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, interestingly enough, um, I don't know that you have to hold your place here, but go to Psalm 23 again, and let's read this, this psalm. I think Psalm 23 is a good psalm for all of us here right now in the days in which we live. Notice what it says. Some of you could probably recite it. But it says that the Lord is my what? Who is, who is my shepherd? The Lord. So, so I want to ask you, you know, is the Lord your shepherd? Now, you know, again, people say, well, certainly. No, 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 no. Ask, let, let me ask you one more time. Is the Lord really your shepherd? Well, I want him to be. No, that's not what I ask you. I said, is he? You know? Now, so the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hallelujah. Now, notice in the second verse, it says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside still waters. I mean, that's the very picture of a a shepherd's care that he provides. And notice what it goes on to say, he restores my soul. Whether you realize it or not, you came to church this morning and you're hearing God's word and there is a process of restoration of your soul taking place. I mean, it may be unconscious, it may not be, you know, wildly tangible, but any time that you set for 40 minutes or an hour or whatever and listen to the word of God, it's good for your soul, okay? In other words, it kind of brings us back to center from all of the craziness. Now, interestingly enough, as we see this story that Jesus, you know, he said, let's get away for a while. And he was trying to help his disciples just have a a break. Well, when they got there, the crowd, it said it was a huge crowd, And so the Bible says that when Jesus saw them, he didn't get mad. He said, nah, turn the boat around. Let's go somewhere else. No, the Bible says that he had what? Compassion. And he viewed them as sheep having no shepherd. And so he began to, do you know what he did? He began to teach them. He began to teach them. See, the thing we need to realize in the context of this is within Jewish literature, you know, uh, teaching God's word 
is compared to feeding sheep. In other words, the thing that can help you, that can put you down in green pastures and, you know, lead you beside still waters is the Word of God being taught to you. Now, people will often say, well, no, man, I want you to, you, don't you have some kind of magic wand, aren't you, the anointed whatever, whatever, you know, and you just, you know, do whatever and fix my problems. Nope. Now, I may be anointed by the Spirit of God, but that whole other thing you had going on there. See, we all, you know, we just think, well, you know, if it's easy, quick fix, you know, if you've got something going on here, you know, that can, you know, solve my problem, I'm all about it. You know, I'm in. Well, sometimes it can just be simply as, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Well, I don't have time for that. You know, I got this thing going on, you know, and I mean, can't you? No. No, 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 no. You're on your own. Does this make sense to you? Huh? <clears throat> and he said, you'll find rest unto your souls. I think there's, that process is taking place right now for all of us. It may not be solving all of our problems. And when we go out the door and we go home, we're probably going to still be facing whatever it is that we're dealing with. But at least, praise God, we were able to you know, put on the garments of heaven and, and, and be able to receive something to help us ma manage, if you want to call it that, whatever it is that we're facing in front of us. How many of you would buy into that? Okay. So it becomes important, you know, in the context. You know, you ever watch these TV shows, Living Off the Grid, Life Below Zero? You know, now, bear in mind, dude, they got to make some drama out of this or it's not going to sell. So it can be embellished a little bit. But, you know, let's take, for example, people that decide they're going to live off the grid. Well, that's all well and good. You know, they just, you know I just want to get away. Have any of you ever felt like you want to get, you know, just get away? Well, that's kind of the whole thing, you know? I mean, you know, I've talked to my son sometimes, and we'll have, there'll be an episode about living off the grid, and he goes, that's what I'm talking about, you know? Well, okay, but, but, but bear in mind, when you live off the grid, life is a whole lot different. Are you listening to me? Most of the people that you see out there living off the grid, um, their meals haven't been real frequent. Why? Because they got to go out there in the middle of who knows where and try to find something to eat. And you know that you have these other deals, you know, where they're all trying to stock it up before the winter time, you know, and you got the ones that are really diligent and they're after it. And man, they got a cave full of God only knows what, and they're ready to rock, and you got these other ones, and man, there's hard luck. I mean, nothing's happening. They ain't catching no fish. They ain't hit, you know, they're not killing no moose. They ain't doing anything. My whole point to that is, is that you can run off someplace and think that there's some utopia, but listen, you still got to survive. Huh? We're just going to run. Where? You know what I'm saying? Now, if you want to go live life below zero, dude, it got down to single digits. That's, that's plenty for me. Can you imagine, you know, 40 below zero? And you got these people, you know, and they got livestock. They got a few cattle, head of cattle or whatever. Have you ever tried to keep water open at 40 below zero? Because after all, they do have to drink. So I guess what I'm trying to suggest to you is it may not be as glamorous 
as it is made up to be. Yeah, but I don't have to deal with people. You're right. You're right. I mean, dude, you talk about being in the sticks. Some of these people, man, are, I mean, yeah. Well, anyway, you still have to survive. But notice with me, if you would, Jesus and his disciples found themselves in an overwhelming circumstance of need. I mean, they couldn't even sit down and have a bite to eat together. It's crazy. And, and, you know, the need wasn't even personal. It, it had to do with other people's need. Has anybody ever come to you and, and dumped on you about their need? Huh? Maybe you're experiencing that a little bit right now. But they were crowded in on every side with seemingly no relief, so they tried to escape. And so I got a question, you know, have you ever felt like that? You know, maybe at times, maybe now, or, you know, depending on your circumstance, you know, and, and uh, sometimes, you know, with work and careers, you know, the job, the boss, what it is he's wanting you to do, always putting pressure, you know, all these different kinds of things. And then you got your family and relationships there and kids and schedules and money and health. And, you know, the list is long. Huh? Just makes you tired thinking about it. But I want to give you five things that you can use to help manage your responsibilities as a believer, praise God, and walk in that joy and peace we were talking about earlier. Because you know what? God wants you to. There are some things that people take on to themselves they were never created to bear. You know, you hear all the time about relationships where husbands and wives have problems, and sometimes they'll end up in divorce because, you know, and they diagnose, you know, one of the, one of the uh, people within the relationship as being codependent, you know, that there's this need to be needed, you know, and then they're doing this and that and the other, and, and, and or um, I don't know how else they describe it. Sometimes, you know, sometimes relationships, you know, one of the spouses, they live very selfishly. And it's all about them. And so they manipulate, you know, the other person to get them to do everything for them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And guess what? When it's lopsided like that, usually it doesn't work out very good. The Bible says to give and it shall be given unto you. In other words, we're supposed to love. And love finds its expression in giving, not always demanding what it is that you want. I mean, I, my wife and I, over 40 years, we've come to know a lot of people in relationships and things like that. And, you know, you, you, you can observe a few things, can't you? You can see a little bit about what's going on within their lives. And sometimes you come to recognize that one person here is, is really lifting the load and carrying a whole lot. And the other one, well, I don't know what they're doing. Not much. Everybody said, well, that ain't fair. She said it ain't fair. Hallelujah. And it's not. You know, so here's five things. I don't know what value they may have, but hopefully they're good for you. The first thing is you need to give yourself permission to take a break. He said, let's go someplace where, you know, it's not crazy and let's rest for a while. Give yourself permission to take a break. Now, there's two types of people. <laughs> there are those, listen, they have no problem taking a break. Huh? They, they, they have been on break. They find out you're taking a break. They go, hey, I'll go with you. That's not the people that I'm really talking about. No, really, I'm talking about people 
are those who they recognize felt responsibility where their life is concerned, and, and because of it, they just cannot seem to sit still. Do you know anyone like that? My wife's running around like a tornado. When was that? Yesterday? Yeah, just yesterday. I said, well, she's back. Praise God. You know, she went through fighting COVID and saying, you're of the devil and I don't receive you. Well, when she, you know, got on the backside of it, now it's like, you know, she's back. Amen. And that's good. But, you know, you still have to give yourself permission to take a break. Isn't that right? So you, you know the difference between the two. Because there is this healthy side of taking responsibility, getting things done, but there's also an unhealthy side. Are you with me? You say, well, that's my problem. Pastor, I can't seem to kind of figure that out. Well, you know what? Ask God to help you. I believe he will. How many of you believe that? You know, God, he took a break. The Bible says that, you know, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day, hallelujah, and sanctified it because that in it, he had rested from all of his works, which God created and made. You know, everybody needs a Sabbath. When, when is your Sabbath, you know? And, and um, to take time, you know, and, and rest, you know, hopefully it's today, you know? And, you know, you hear the word of God, you have your soul restored, you go and enjoy your family or whatever it is, you know, that, that, that you got going and you just, you know, take a break. Because I tell you what, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they're all going to be filled with stuff, trust me. You know what I'm talking about? And so many people, as I said, end up carrying things that aren't their responsibility, and they were never designed to be burdened with. And so it's important. Give yourself permission to take a break. Number two, set a priority or two. Set a priority or two. You know, we all go through seasons of life, and with those seasons come different responsibilities. You know, my wife and I, we dated for four years, and I tell you what, dude, we had a blast. We loved being with one another. Did I ever tell you I walked a mile all the way to her house to get her out of a snowstorm and back out again? so that we could go, you know, have a date that night. And then when we got home, I had to walk her back. Everybody say, wow, man. You know, I didn't just kick her, boot her out of the car, say, hey, baby, have a good one. It's a mile that way. You'll be fine. No, I walked her all the way back home and walked her back out. Say, man, you're a good guy. I am a good guy. Amen. You know, I didn't get much response out of that. Well, anyway... <clears throat> So, so we just, we loved being with one another, loved having, you know, fun and different things of that nature, got turned on to the word, got saved and decided that we were going to spend the rest of our lives together and we got married. And so, you know, but we're still just a couple. I mean, we're just having a great time and 30 days, everybody say 30 days, 30 days into our marriage, she, she takes and looks with those hazel eyes into my eyes and says, I'm pregnant. Congrats. Huh? Wait, what's that? It was further than that. It was shortly after we were married. It's all I, I don't know how it happened, but anyway, she's pregnant, you know? Hallelujah. 
Well, here's my point. Everything changed for Mikey. I mean, it wasn't like we're happy-go-lucky, do whatever we want. No, we got one in the oven. And nine months from now or, you know, whatever the time frame was, uh, my world is going to get rocked. Are you with me? Now, that's not a bad thing. But, you know, guess what? You've got to step up into it. And you got to do what it is you got to do. Are you listening? I did more growing in nine months, you guys, and you. You can't even begin to imagine how much I grew up in nine months. Because there was a baby on the way. What did that represent? Responsibility. Are you with me? Now, I could have cut and run or something like that, which I, was, I mean, that was not even an option. Some people do, you know. But there's different seasons with different responsibilities. And so sometimes we have to set a pri- what I said, set a priority or two. Here's the thing. Ill-ordered priorities always eventually cause problems. Because people, you know, too many things are too important. Oh, we got to do this, got to do that. Well, sometimes you don't have those options. Are you with me? And so you have to determine what are the most important things in your life. Ask yourself. I mean, you know, write it down. Question. What are the most important priorities in life? And think about it. Well, me. After all, you know, we got these selfie sticks. And I really like me. I'm into me. You know. Now, that sounds funny. But there are some people, I mean, they're just obsessed with themselves and what it is that everybody else should be doing for them. Are you with me? Well, guess what? You're, you're not my priority, huh? And there are other things. You know, when you talk about, well, what's the, the first and most important priority in any person's life? Well, it's a relationship with God. And the next thing really is about relationships with your spouse, and then your children, and then so on and so forth. And then you got your career and, and, and church and, you know, different things of that nature. But, but we ought to take a look at that and say, you know, okay, here's, here's the way they should be, but how are they in my life? With me? You know, we said, that, you know, that 2022 is going to be the year of the Word. We're going to make that a priority, you know, to have the washing of the water of the Word of God in my life. That's part of the relationship that you know, we're, we're to have with God. That's a good priority, isn't it? So, so we, we set, we schedule, we do whatever it is to set ourselves up for success in that regard. But again, in society, too many things are too important. So what are the most important things in life? And maybe that needs to be adjusted a little bit. Number three, eliminate the uh, unnecessary. There's so, there's so much stuff, you guys, it doesn't matter. Huh? Eliminate the unnecessary. You know, I'll ask you a question this way. How many of you have a hard time getting rid of things? Huh? You ever watch these shows, Hoarders? What's that? Oh, don't point at me while you say that. She's not a hoarder, trust me. Okay? Not even, not even close, you know? But, but, but you know, what's, what is that all about? you know, to where we don't want to let go of things. You know, people say, well, if you had something for six months and, you know, you never use it, just get rid of it. 
And then you'll have other people say, well, hey, now, whoa, no, no, we can't get rid of that. I mean, you never know. You know, we, we might need that sometime. Just keep looking straight ahead, praise God, you know. And so what happens? You know, it piles up. And then, and then what will happen to confirm your conviction, there'll be some deal that happens and you go, oh, I got one of them, you know. And then you can say, see, I told you, you know, got to keep that stuff. We're creatures that in many ways are just that way. I don't know if insecurity is what drives that or I, I don't know. I'm not some psychologist trying to figure all that out, you know, but sometimes you need to get, need to get rid of things. Peter Daniels made the statement, the key to concentration is elimination. You know, sometimes the respite and, the, and the, just the rest, you know, that we need is just de-junk our life, get stuff out of it. Are you listening to me? And so it's important that way. You know, um, I'm not a, necessarily a big fan of Warren Buffett, you know, because, I mean, he's a globalist and he wants to control populations and things of that nature, but, but he has had some success, okay? So that's the only reason I use this example. I'm not using it because of necessarily who he is. But the, he, he wrote this article, article, Three Life Choices Separate the Doers from the Imposters. Three life choices. And the first one that he, he makes reference to is learn to say no to most things. Learn to say no to most things. He makes this statement, the difference between successful and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. If we let our egos dictate our actions and we keep saying more yeses instead of more noes, it is not sustainable. It's not a sustainable business or life practice, and we will inevitably crash and burn. So as much as I'm not all about whatever it is that he believes and thinks and whatever, this is a good point. Are you with me? And so it's important to understand, you know, sometimes you have to say no. Now, if you want to please, that is really hard to do. Huh? Now, if you don't care about pleasing people, you know, it's pretty easy, you know. So I don't know where you find yourself in all of that, but the reality is, is that that's true. For example, you know, we, we have this going on, you know, um, not, not often, but it comes up, you know, within the context of Fellowship Church. You know, and somebody will come in and, and they're really passionate about this, that, or the other. They say, well, how come you don't have a pantry? How come you don't do something for the homeless? How come you don't, you know, whatever, whatever? And it's their, it's their deal. Well, the reality is, is that we actually do do those things. We just don't do them as a church. I mean, uh, it's not an action or a function necessarily within the context of um, what we do. Why? Because there's only so many things any uh, organization or church or whoever can do. So what do we do? You know, well, we, we give, you know, on a monthly basis and sometimes large sums to uh, the mission down in Omaha. You know, what's it called? Huh? Open Door Mission, you know. 
And then we'll do things where pantries are concerned, and, and that's why, you know, we're supporting, as a matter of fact, we have a guest next week, you know, and, and uh, they have three different clinics that help um, gals that ended up pregnant and things of that nature. And so we support them. You know, we support them. Why and reinvent the wheel? If they're already doing it and doing it with success, then we as a church can give to them and help them. And we got, you know, Chris Campbell, we support because he goes into the jail, you know, and ministers, I mean, two or three times a week. He's also going into the juvenile uh, detention center there in Council Bluffs at the bottom of the viaduct. And he's, he's talking to these kids and different things like that. So we support him because he's doing that, you know. So a lot of times people, you know, um, they get their nose all out of joint because you're not doing something that they think you should be doing. It's not only true in the church, it's true in your personal lives. You know, that somebody will come along and they'll say, by golly, you ought to be doing this. Huh? I said, huh? You know? So, you know, balance is the key to life. I'm not saying that, that there isn't merit in some of these things, but I think you understand the spirit of what it is that I'm talking about. The second thing, and the third, I'll give you these quickly that he made mention of as far as life choices. The first one, again, say no to almost everything. Number two, surround yourself with people operating in integrity. This, he says this is a non-negotiable aspect of his business practice. And you can't imagine how many people probably are trying to hitch their train to what it is that he's doing for their advantage. But if they don't have integrity, they're not going to have anything. They're not even going to be close to him. Are you with me? And the same thing's true. Don't spend your time and your life, listen, with compromising, characterless people. Don't do it. And it doesn't mean you don't love them, and it doesn't mean you can't have a... But don't spend your time with them because birds of a feather flock together. And that stuff they do, it'll crawl off on you. Are you listening to me? So you, you know... Say, no, we ain't doing that. Hallelujah. Y'all still glad you came? Hallelujah. And number three, uh, increase your knowledge daily. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Increase your knowledge daily. It's been said that, that it's, you know, Buffett is known to, at times at least, spend 80% of his day reading. You say, yeah, but he's a billionaire, man. I'm trying to make a wage out here. I ain't going to sit around 80% of the time reading whatever. Well, I'm not saying or suggesting you got to sit around and read journals and all of these different kinds of things, but you got to keep growing, learning. Maybe you have a special interest or you have a special uh, kind of a, a lane that you're in. You need to grow in the knowledge all that you can to, to, to set yourself apart because it'll help you and it'll bless you, you know, in economics and everything else. Are you with me? I think I've lost you. Come on now. Stay with me here. All right, so that's that deal. You say, well, what's that deal? That deal is, is to eliminate the unnecessary. Learn to say no. Now, you didn't hear that part. You just say, keep saying, yes, honey, yes, yes, yes. All right, number, where are we at? Four? Yeah, number four. Make a commitment to grow in your relationship with God. And that might play to this thing about increasing your knowledge daily. 
And, and here's the thing, you guys. We need to learn to do life His way. Okay? Because that's where the blessing is, you know? When I got saved, I started learning that, you know, He wants me to put away lying. He wants me to get rid of corrupt communication. He wants me, praise God, to provide things honest in the sight of all men, you know, and all of these different kinds of things that are in the Bible. If I want His blessing, I got to do life His way. It's pretty simple, right? I got to start, I got to stop fussing, fighting, you know, getting in strife. You know, the Bible makes it clear that strife is a, a, a weapon or a scheme or a device of the devil. So you got to say, you know, I got to stop doing that. Oh, but it makes me feel so much better. No, it doesn't, dude. Everybody loses. Everyone loses. So these are the things that you have to, you know, make decisions about and grow in and say, no, we're not going to do that anymore. Do life his way. This is what he said. He said, come to me, all of you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will make your lives worse. No, he said, I'll give you rest. And then he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and lowly of heart. And the Bible says, or Jesus said, you shall find what? For what? Yeah. You'll find rest for your souls. God didn't intend to make this thing hard. Are you listening to me? And some of those things, you know, you, you, I, I mean, it still comes back to you believing and having faith and putting these things into practice so that you can get on the right side of the equation. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. So we talked about forgiveness earlier. We, don't, we won't take any time, you know, but it's such a devastating thing that happens. Don't take your lead from the world. The world's angry, you know, and, and the thing about it is, is a lot of what you see in the media, that's what they puff. That's, that's what they promote. That's what they, you know, put up there, you know, because man, drama sells, so if somebody's all jacked up, then, then that's what they're going to be proliferating. And then you get all stirred up and you want somebody's head on a platter. And you with me? So you stop all that and don't take their lead. Okay, praise the Lord. And then um, <clears throat> because there's so many in society and culture and <laughs> our parents and everybody else, you know, thinking about what we should do. You never had any of that, did you? Huh? You know, I tell people when they first get married, young people, I said, the first thing probably would be the best thing you could do is move about 400 miles away from your parents. Yeah. You may have to stay there a while, depending on the nature of things. But, you know, man, dude, you can, you can figure out life. Come on, you got the two of you. Just go for it. You know, will you make a mistake? You know, parents, oh, my God, what were you thinking? You know? Don't you got any, didn't I tell you better than that, you know, or whatever. Well, you know, give me a break. Amen. You know? Well, anyway, hang with me. You need to learn God's way in order to grow in abundant living. He said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He knows how to do life. So the, num the fifth thing, and we'll close with this. Trust in God's desire and his ability to take care of you. Trust. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. And I'll reference, you can just look it up later, Psalm 37. 
um, verses 1 through 9, great scriptures there. Amen. But trust in God's desire and ability to take care of you. Hallelujah. Well, that's enough. I think I've shoveled off enough of a load here, huh? Amen. God wants the best for you, doesn't he? So why don't you just, uh, you know, close your Bibles there and uh, shut your device off or whatever. And while you're there seated, I just want you just to bow your heads with me for a moment. And um, let's, let's look to the Lord. Praise God. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you know, um, one minister once said, you know, what's important is not what I say, but what it is that the Holy Ghost says through what I said to you. So we've talked about a lot of things, everyone here today, and and uh, I realize that every one of us may be in different places, you know, where our lives are concerned, but, you know, it may be that there's an unhealthy condition of unforgiveness that exists within your heart that, yes, you really do need to, to take care of. And, um, you know, God knows how hard it is sometimes when it comes to these things. He's, he, he's, he's easily touched uh, with where you are, but he still asks you to give in, to give over, to 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 let go, if you want to call it that. Because he knows that in order to help you, that's what has to happen. And you're the one that holds the key. Nobody else, nobody else does. So again, just for one moment here, while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. But if you find yourself in that place with someone or something, Thank you, Jesus. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord, I come this day and I ask you to forgive me of harboring unforgiveness in my situation. I pray for those that have offended And I ask you, Lord, to bless their lives. Help me, Father, to release what has built up within my life. And I thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. Now, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are still closed, no one's looking around, I want to deal with matters that You know, just the cares of this world. You know, how things can pile up. And how anxiety and just feeling overwhelmed and just like, God, what am I going to do? Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to come to Him and we're going to allow Him to restore our souls. So while your heads again are bowed and eyes are closed, no one's looking around. If you find yourself in a place of feeling somewhat overwhelmed with whatever it is that you're facing, be honest with yourself. You'd say by your uplifted hand, Pastor, dude, I need need God to invade my life here. Can I see your hand? Thank you, ma'am. 
God bless you. Yes, yes. All right, anybody else? Amen. We're not here to embarrass, praise God. We're here to help people. Who else? Is there anyone else? Just life has gotten to be a bunch. Praise the Lord. Okay, Lord, I'll do that. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Mm, Praise God. I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you would, everyone. And I know this kind of takes a little bit of boldness to do this, but I really felt prompted to, that I should do this. So if you raised your hand, or maybe you didn't and you should have, I'd, li- I'd like to invite you to come and just allow me the privilege of being able to pray with you, just to lay hands on you and, and minister to you by the Spirit of God. So if you would, just step out from wherever you're at and come on down and I'd be happy to, to do that. You can just make a line right here facing the platform, please. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? You know, the, the church ought to be a place of restoration and restoring people's lives back to God's intended purpose. Hallelujah. Anybody else before we pray? Hallelujah. All right, honey, would you like to come and join me? Thank you, Lord. You can just stand right there. Just, I want you to just close your eyes and block the world out. Forget about everything else. Those in the congregation, stretch your hands out toward these folks, if you would, please, as we pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, you see these individuals and couples that are here this morning. And Father, we, we come united together with a common cause and purpose to bring relief and release within their lives about the things they face and the issues that they're dealing with. And so, Father, as we pray for them, Father, I want to thank you for speaking to them within their hearts and minds about the plan and the purpose that you have for them. And not only that, Father, but what it is that you would have them to do. And so, Father, we thank you right now in the name of Jesus. In the name that's above every name. Father, I thank you for a release, yes, of this care, worry, and anxiety. There's his presence. And Father, we just thank you, Father God. You said to cast all of our care onto you because you care for us. So I thank you, Father, for ministering to them and showing them what it is that they need to do in their circumstance, in Jesus' name. Father, we lay our hands on this couple right now. And Father, I just wanna thank you for your divine, there it is. Yes, thank you, Father, for your grace upon their lives. Father, help them to know that, Father, you're not just with them, but you're for them. And give guidance, order their steps to do what it is that needs to be done. And Father God, I just thank you for your wisdom. Yes, praise God, to make whatever corrections are needed. 
in order that your grace and blessing will rest on their lives. Thank you, Lord. Father, we lay our hands on our sister now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise God, Father. I'm so glad that you're the God that's more than enough. Hallelujah. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, to meet this need in Jesus' name. So thank you, Father. Yeah, glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And Father, for this couple, we thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God, for your divine grace in their life that again provides direction for them and opens the eyes of their understanding. All is not lost. No, there are ways and means which God can provide and there is a work that can be done at his leading and at his command. So Father, I just thank you, Father, for helping them to roll and repose all of this care over onto you. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You can all be seated except this gal right here. What's your name? Cynthia. Huh? Cynthia. Cynthia? Yep. Have you been here before? I have. I'm yeah. Just, I'm really sick with family. So all right. I've been here for a couple weeks. Okay. Um, this is going to be really unusual for you, okay? Okay. But does your need represent financial matters and things? It does. Yeah. Well, you know what? He really loves you. <laughs> Hallelujah. So um, I know this is going to be really unusual, so I, don't, I won't embarrass you, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give everybody in this church an opportunity to help you today. So I want you to go ahead and go be seated because that would, that would be better. And then this is what I'm going to have you do. Now, this is not your tithe money or your offering that you're giving to the church. But here's what I want you to do. And you don't have to. You're not under any obligation. But if you want to, if you have a desire, I just want you to take, if you've got some cash in your billfold or whatever the case might be, and I want you to go put it up there by my Fuji water. And I promise that I'll just take the water and all the rest of it will give to her. You say, well, I don't have any cash. Well, steal some from your neighbor. Now, <clears throat> I don't know what means, you know, whereby you can, you can do this, but... You just come, yeah, and just put it there. And we are going to bless Sylvia's life. Amen. Hallelujah. Who is? What's that? Do you think this will work? Hang on a second, because I may have a way of being able to do that as soon as I talk to. What can we do? Sorry again. So you can text to give. Instead of saying give and the amount, put special. Yeah. And then we'll know 
it's for this girl. You say, well, how come you're doing that? Because I believe the Holy Ghost wants to help her. Amen? Amen. And it's going to be good. God bless you, Sylvia. Tell you what, he loves you, and he really cares about you, and he's going to take care of you. Praise God. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Amen. All right, listen. uh, um, Let's receive our offering. How's that sound? Say two offerings and one deal? Kind of, kind of, yeah, kind of. But I appreciate your generosity towards her. And I just felt prompted, (coughs) prompted to do this thing. You know, the Bible says that when you see a need you have within your ability to do something about it, you say, well, I'll take care of it some other. It's not what she needs. She needs it right now. And so we're just, we're doing it, you know, that way. So, amen. Amen. All right, so uh, ushers are in the aisle. They have an envelope in their hand. If you're giving cash, you want a receipt. What happened to my pulpit? Um, I tell you what, um, giving is such a blessing. It really is. And the reason being, well, there's lots of different reasons, but Jesus, you know, he said, uh, judge, I don't need it now, man. I got what I wanted, but thank you, Jeff. All right, praise the Lord. Um, look, look at this verse of Scripture with me. You got time for this verse? Look at this verse here in Matthew, or I'm sorry, Luke, chapter 6. And uh, it's been an interesting uh stream or flow of the Spirit here today. Verse 32. Well, let's start with thir- let's start with 30. Give to every man that asks of thee, and of him that uh, takes away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thanks have you? For sinners also uh, love those that love them. And if you do good unto them which do good to you, what thanks have you? For sinners also give the same, even the same. Verse 34. And if you lend to them of whom uh, you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners, they lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward will be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Now this is where I was trying to get to, verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give to your bosom. For with the same measure 
that you meet or measure out with all, it shall be measured to you again. So what's that mean? That just means he said, don't judge, don't condemn and forgive, but give and it'll be given to you. And then he went on then to conclude by saying, you, you, you are the one who gets to use or choose the measuring cup. Okay. He said, whatever it is that you measure out, it'll be measured to you again. So I want to thank you in advance for your liberality of blessing this gal and now the church to help us do what it is that God wants us to do. We're going to have a great year, you guys, and we're going to turn the world upside down. Hallelujah. So I just want to thank you in advance for this. And so hold your offering up toward heaven. We'll pray. Father, we love you so much. And God, we count it a privilege. It is our honor, Father, to come before you today and make or give um, these tithes and offerings. And I want to thank you, Father, for your grace in every family within our church, that there is, in fact, something supernatural that rests upon them in their lives and their homes because, Father, they love you. And I just thank you for your blessing and your grace in every one of their lives as they give today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.